We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Brandon Pone. We have a very special guest today, Dr. Patrick Berner. Patrick Berner is a physical therapist and registered dietitian nutritionist currently practicing in upstate South Carolina. His work is centered around community outreach and management of individual health assets. Dr. Berner's blend of content knowledge has quickly positioned him as a sought-after voice in conversations related to health promotion and wellness practice, where he's been invited as a presenter at the state and national level, urging the integration of nutrition and movement for enhanced outcomes and risk reduction of chronic disease. Patrick is an active member of the APTA and has served as an integral part in the formation of the new Council on Prevention, Health Promotion, and Wellness in Physical Therapy. He's also involved as both content expert and lead for the early work life team within the Academy of Prevention and Health Promotion Therapies, or the APHPT, which we've had a couple people on uh, the show before. Um, Patrick, I know we kept your bio relatively brief, but is there anything else you would like our audience to know about you that we didn't mention in the bio? No, I think that's fine uh, for now, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to have me on. No, man, we're thrilled to have you on. And, you know, before we kind of dive into the topic of really about you know, your, your training with being a registered dietitian and DPT, do you think you could tell our audience just a little bit about, you know, your academic journey and kind of how it led to where you're at today? Oh, absolutely. So, it's a, it's a good question, Brendan, and it's actually something I get frequently. Um, I actually wrote a blog post recently for APTA's Pulse, which is, it was kind of a precursor to the, the student assembly talk that I'm doing in January. So, I can give you the link to that if you want to put it in the, in the show notes. But I'll kind of give you the the unword Smith version of it. Uh, so basically, started out undergraduate in dietetics, and uh, it was kind of going through. Maybe after the first year or so, I, I kind of realized that you know I'm I'm at a point where I want to be helping people, you know, live a healthier life. And at that time, I was solely focused on just the food aspect of it. But then I started to realize that movement was something else. So sophomore year of undergrad, I actually started uh, doing an exercise science degree simultaneously with dietetics. So most of my uh, college career, I was doing two separate bachelor's degrees at the same time, which kind of came a hassle uh, every now and then trying to squeeze in. I think most credit hours I ever took at one semester was like 23. It was towards the end, though, that I realized that you know I wanted to go to PT school. And at that time, it didn't really benefit me to have two separate bachelors. So I just graduated in dietetics and, and took a minor in kinesiology and a minor in business and, and went to PT school. So it was, you know, going to PT school, I was at that point, I had kind of uh, left the food science and, and the nutrition kind of down by the wayside. And I was mainly focused on movement. As, as you both know, going to PT school, that's all we care about. But then I started to realize, well, 
they're, they're forgetting the other picture, everything that I learned before, that they weren't addressing the food aspect of things. And it was kind of, I've had good support through, through various people, uh, like Eric Chaconish, Jeff Moore, Mike Eisenhart kind of really supported uh, my decision and and that I wanted to go back and get my RD. So I, I took off off of being full-time as a PT, and it was about seven months I went back and did an internship program to get hours in order to, to sit for boards. So that's kind of just the brief brief little synopsis of kind of what happened. Yeah, that's a, a really cool pathway, Patrick. What, what was it about becoming a dietitian, like on a personal level, that really appealed to you? Food. <laughs> so I really... I mean, it was, it was the fact that, you know, what you eat and what you put in your body really kind of affects your body's output, you know, kind of how you feel, how you're able to move, how you're able to do things, uh, whether or not you're recovering from illness or not, you know, just kind of that feeling that food gives you, you know, and aside from all the other social things and, and you know, family aspects and cultural beliefs around food as well, um, you know, being from South Louisiana, food's a big thing. I think that kind of uh, played a part in it as well. Another little preface to that, and I didn't include this in that blog post that I'd written for them. It kind of all stemmed in high school. I had a pretty bad car accident coming up, coming up from Grand Isle, South Louisiana, from a crabbing trip. I went head on with a dump truck. I think I had fallen asleep at the wheel. You know, ten years later, it's kind of one of those things that you just admit that, that most likely happened. So I was air vacked out and. Coming to a couple of days later, able to able to talk, talking with the surgeons that worked with me, you know, was their message to me that, you know, it was the health that you were in. Because at that time, I was a pretty healthy guy going to the gym, you know, eating rather good. And, you know, it was, it was him telling me, you know, it was it was your lifestyle that that saved you. So it was at that point that I realized that if how I'm living, you know, saved me, it's something that I want to be able to share with people. Um, and it was at that time that I thought food was the entire picture. Um, but prior to that, I mean, I lived a, a traditional George Costanza uh, occupational dream. I wanted to be an architect. That was, you know, all throughout high school. That was kind of my passion that I wanted to get into. But after after the incident, everything kind of changed from there. Wow. No, that's quite an amazing story, Patrick. And I think it's I think it's great that, you know, that you use that experience to really shape you to really turn that into something that can really help others. I think that's pretty inspiring. And, you know, Patrick, I'm sure you've probably gotten this question quite a bit or heard this question asked quite a bit. And so I just got to ask for the record, because I'm sure there's a bunch of our audience members who are perhaps not sure, but what's the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist? So the way I kind of view it as is, is a nutritionist is kind of a, just a basic broad term, really just describing someone who's who study nutrition or food sciences but a dietitian is is much more as it's kind of a, it's a regulated profession it's an actual healthcare profession so the path you've got to go through is very structured whereas as a nutritionist you, know, you may earn some sort of you know certification and have that general foundation uh, of information and knowledge but a dietitian's path you know to registration and licensure which is much more similar to occupational therapy being registered and licensed versus PT just being licensed. It's a very controlled process. You know, they, they meet their different standards of education and there's a, a lot of things that you've got to accomplish um, in order to just sit for boards uh, in order to, to become licensed. So the, the regulation pathway is, is very similar to PT, 
um, and a lot of other healthcare professions as well. Dietetics education, it's also a bit more in-depth and extremely clinical. So for example, you know, when you think of a dietitian in a healthcare field, a lot of people do think of the hospital setting. But I did one of my rotations in an LTAC, and you think about these these patients are the sickest of the sick, right? And you wonder who's who's behind their nutrition and what they're getting for their recovery. And it's a dietitian. You know, when it comes to creating those nutritional regimens as far as enteral and parental nutrition, you know, that being a feeding tube or straight IV nutrition, it's a lot of detail. You know, you're talking about you're dealing with daily blood works and just the smallest change in a potassium level or chloride level or fluid, you know, your sodium, whether or not they're dehydrated or overhydrated, you've got to change what that person's taking in. You know, especially renal disease is one of the most difficult. You know, you're talking about dealing with milliequivalents of minerals that if a lab value changes just slightly, you've got to change the entire TPN bag as far as what that person's getting. So it become very clinical, and that's that's kind of the depth that that a dietitian's education goes into. You know, nutritionist getting a weekend certification, or even getting something broader. You know, like a precision nutrition certification. They don't go into that depth of clinical detail that a dietitian's education goes into. No, that's interesting, Patrick. And I guess my next follow up to that is: Do you think you could tell us a little bit about kind of how? your experience with going through dietitian school was like how long was it i know you kind of talked about the curriculum and kind of the clinicals a little bit but can you just give us a little bit more of a in-depth kind of background and kind of about the process and kind of how it went for you so i i did the traditional kind of pathway to becoming a dietitian so there's there's kind of two main ones right now so basically what i had done was the traditional route in earning a four-year bachelor's degree in dietetics so the program has to be an accredited program by ASCEND, which is the, the Nutrition Dietetics uh, Accreditation Board, just like CAPTI for physical therapy has their accreditation board. So you go through that, the four-year degree. Uh, after that, you have to do a accredited supervised internship program of 1,200 hours. After you complete the program, then you know you get your verification statements, and you know all your I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and then you can sit from boards from there. Without having a degree in dietetics, um, you can have a degree in something else, but you have to still complete the didactic coursework, um, which in total, full time, would still take you about two years, because you're talking about that's what half of my degree was was didactic courses. So I do know. Actually, another fellow PT up in New York, she's doing it right now. She's, she's doing her didactic courses part-time. You know, and it's, it's taken upwards of three years just to get those in. But once you have the courses done, then you get your verification statement to enter into an internship program and go from there. The, the pathway changes in 2024. They're completely revamping uh, the entire educational structure of it. Uh, I don't completely agree with what they're doing, but they're actually going to require every new registered dietitian to have a master's degree um, before they can uh, sit for boards and earn registration and licensure. The pathways are going to be a little bit different. At that point, you're looking at 
you know, upwards of 10 different scenarios as far as how you can attain it then. But either way, you've got to complete your, your didactic coursework and then your master's can be in anything. I think there is another option and it's very vague and then it states that individuals with doctoral degrees from an American inst- accredited American institution can complete an ISSP, which is like an individual personalized internship program through a, a university and then sit for boards. So I don't know if at that point it'd be, it would actually be easy for a, a physical therapist to kind of do that. But what I don't like about it is that at that point you miss the undergraduate level education of dietetics. And that's where a lot of the bulk of the, the knowledge comes from to be able to, to participate in clinicals. And Yeah, no, Patrick, that's really interesting to hear, you know, that perspective in the future and what's going to be happening there. And, you know, and kind of a follow-up to that, just briefly, I know I didn't write this one down on the script, but what are some of the, besides what you said before, are there any other big glaring differences between how it would change in the future compared to what it is now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really un, unknown for a lot of what's going to happen. I think with the, what they're pushing for and just like the PT profession push for with going to the doctorate is that, you know, giving a higher level, you know, earning higher respect within the healthcare field. I think that's what they're shooting for. But even me talking to to educators, you know, there's it's split as far as who thinks it's a good idea and who thinks it's not. I'm on the side of I don't really think it's a good idea because I don't think requiring a master's, it's not going to put them on that level. It's not going to bump that pay grade. It's not going to, it's just not going to justify any big changes. You know, just like with the PT profession, there was no Uh, We're not getting paid more as a doctoral uh, profession, right? You know, reimbursements down. So PTs nowadays aren't making as much as PTs back then. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to say what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it seems a little bit odd too, Patrick, even if, you know, you can get a master's, but you can get it in almost anything. If it's not specific to the dietitian world, then, you know, like you said, I kind of question how relevant getting a master's would actually be. I mean, if you got it in something beneficial, you know, so there's a lot of programs out there, the internships. So there's a lot of different types of dietetic internships. And the one I did was a distance program and it was accelerated, meaning I set up my own preceptors and I knocked it out in seven months. Most dietetic internships are about 12, uh, about 12 months, but now most of them are are coordinated with a master's program. And at this point, you're taking, you're taking a student who's got a, a degree in dietetics and nutrition, and they go into a coordinated program where they then earn a master's in nutrition. But to me, that doesn't make sense because you've just added on really some additional research information, right? The ones that make sense to me are the programs that let you choose, but, but kind of control it a little bit in a way that, you know, if I get a master's in public health, or if I get a mat, or if I just get an MBA, right, those are beneficial. The master's in in a, just a little bit an advancement of what your degree is already in, that doesn't make sense to me. But it would like, if you get a master's in something random like finance, I mean, that would all depend on what you do with your dietetics degree, or what you do as an RD. The profession is very broad. 
So you take the PT profession, right? We can work in a hospital, you can work an outpatient, you can work private practice, you can do whatever you want. As a dietitian, it's the exact same way. And that's why I love the profession because it blends so well with PT and that you can do whatever you want to do. You know, dietitians don't just work in hospitals. They don't just work in the medical field. They're, uh, you look at the school system, who's running the, uh, the menus and meal planning and uh, food service production. Those are dietitians on the back end of that. Major food corporations, for the most part, have dietitians on the back. I mean, part of my education was knowing how to run a restaurant, right? Being able to do any type of a management aspect of food at all um, is all a requirement. So, yeah, it's, it's the undergraduate part of, of the change in the education model that I don't like, that there are going to be pathways that don't require you to earn those, uh, those coursework. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting future uh... I think that goes uh, as a broad statement for healthcare in general, though, as we're moving forward. Uh, Patrick, I know, you know, every program is completely different and it's going to vary depending on state versus uh, private schools and stuff. But can you give us a, a rough estimate on the cost of a, a dietitian program? So it is, I mean, you're looking at the cost of an undergra- undergraduate degree first, right? So we know that's going to vary uh, vastly whether or not you're going private or public. I think I I actually looked at numbers when when I read this uh, question you sent over. Um, And if I was to redo my undergraduate degree here in Louisiana, tuition-wise, you know, I'm looking at in-state $9,000 a year, which is relatively cheap when you look at uh, undergraduate costs. Now, the internships get a little bit tricky in that you pay to do a coordinated internship program. So you'd think clinical hours, right, would kind of be something that's included, but you have to remember this is something additional. So I did my internship through the University of Houston. So the reason I, one of the reasons I picked it is it's one of the cheapest programs in the country, and it's the fastest, right? So if I can get it done in seven months and pay $8,000, that made sense to me. For the most part, most internships, you know, on top of your undergraduate expenses, you're looking... Uh, usually minimum is about 8000 but some programs i mean you're looking at 20 grand just for that year to do an internship program and for the most part that's got to be out of pocket too cuz i mean you look at most students by that year 4 they've probably maxed their allotment to take out for federal loans so that's an additional 20 that's got to come from somewhere the va has a couple programs throughout the country and they're unique in that the VA will actually pay you stipends and you don't pay um, a tuition. Pretty uh, a neat benefit there. Um, yeah. what, Patrick, what were some of the similarities and differences that you noted uh, between DPT programs and an RDN program? So, like I said earlier, the, the accreditation is very similar in that you've got your, your two bodies kind of overlooking everything. Your objectives that you have to meet as far as what the coursework needs to provide. Um, it's very structured structured in that manner, very similar. The, uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics uh, framework is set up very similar to the APTA. And we have our, our sections, uh, they call them practice groups. The voting process is a little bit different in that your delegates uh, sit within your practice groups within the academy. 
your voting delegates versus an APTA. We know the delegates sit uh, within the state chapters. Competencies, right? Continuing education uh, requirements. So for dietetics, the continuing education requirement is for the registration component of it. And once you're registered, you just pay your fee for licensure. Um, so if you ever see the credential LD or LDN, um, that just means a licensed dietitian. But the competency is unique in that it's not really a free-for-all. So in the PT world, I just need 24 credits every two years to keep my licensure. But it's whatever, it's kind of whatever you have access to, right? And that you complete. On the RD side of things, you've got five years uh, to complete 75 units. But at the beginning of that five-year reporting period, you have to map out what your five years is going to look like. So you've got to say 20% of what I'm doing is going to be clinical. 20% is going to be community. I've got 10%. I've got to identify my own weaknesses, and I've got to address those with continuing education. So it's ever-changing. Every five years, you've got to reevaluate yourself and say, well, this is my weak point. And once you identify it at the beginning of the period, you've got to meet that within the five years and, and cover that type of content that you're lacking in. So I like that aspect of their continuing education is it kind of makes you accountable for what you may not be strong in instead of the you know traditional free-for-all, I think, with PT uh, continuing education. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Patrick. I think that's a really interesting method of doing that. And I think that's a definitely a way that definitely helps keep overall the profession more um, accountable. Um, so I think that's overall a good thing. I think it's good that they make you plan it and do that. And, you know, and Patrick, my next for my next question here, I, I realize that there's going to be a lot of variability between programs. And I know there's a lot of other factors to consider. So I realize this is not saying necessarily generalizing to everyone. But from what you've experienced, what are some of the limitations of dietitian school? And how do you think those limitations should be addressed? So the, the limitations that I've seen, and it does, it does vary largely among institutions, but within the dietetics world, I do still see a lot of dogma, you know, kind of like within the PT world, kind of those institutions that are really focused on this type of of uh, nutrition counseling. Uh, so let's take diabetes, for instance, right? You've got your different carb counting methods and what have you, but some institutions are really hard and that that's all they focus on. It was really disheartening. I was at a conference, it might have been last year, and it was a presentation on plant-based diets and dealing with diabetes. Now, I know, F. Scott, you know my feelings on plant-based diets, right? And it, it, it correlates well with, you know, kind of what the APHPT uh, view is and you know that consuming a plant-based you know diet is beneficial you know for controlling uh, glucose levels now I was sitting in this presentation and I'm I mean I'm loving it you know I'm getting good research that I hadn't come across before but I'm sitting next to a table with a, a couple new students and they're snickering at the fact that that they were presenting this they thought it was totally absurd that you could, help control someone's glucose levels by by eating more plant-based proteins. And that I just I didn't understand, you know, why that was until I realized, you know, that they were students and in the institution that they had come from. But it, 
it needs to get away from that type of dogma education. It needs to be more evidence-based, more, you know, what's coming out. And that's the, I mean, that is the difficult thing with, with nutrition. And, you know, F. Scott, you brought it up in that piece you did for us for Wealthy Wednesday and that, you know, eggs are good, eggs are bad, and things are constantly changing. But it's just being able to keep up with the latest. And I mean, especially something as big as plant-based research. I mean, you can't just push that aside and act like it doesn't exist. There's also a lot of limitations um, as far as like hands-on education within the dietetics world. So I've got a I've got a colleague, and she's actually my my old program director, and we stayed pretty close. Um, and she just started a new internship program coordinated with a master's degree, and she kind of leads within the academy uh, what they're call calling simulated education. So I sat down with her, and she kind of explained to me what simulated education is, and I completely fell in love with the idea. So what they're doing is within their institution, they've got access to, you know, there's, there's nursing, there's PT, there's other healthcare uh, providers as well. And what they do is they simulate events. So you take a patient who's coming in and, you know, you've got their medical history and what have you, and they've got scripts though, and that they'll totally flip things and, and create these scenarios that, you know, you wouldn't think would normally happen, but in the real world, they would. Right, you'd get your disgruntled patient, or you'd get your your pissed off parent that comes in and and, and tries to just totally throw you off your your tracks. Um, and the students have to adapt to the situation and learn what real life is actually about. Instead of just practicing with students a student, they've got these scripted scenarios, and they bring in every healthcare provider, and they're working as a team to kind of figure out the best solution. But yeah, so she's she's pushing that uh, pretty hard in a lot of institutions, trying to get them on board, presenting research on it and its, its effectiveness. But I think that's one of the things for a lot of healthcare education is we need to be learning more with other healthcare providers. For sure. And I think that's definitely come up a few times within interviewing guests in terms of really trying to get a merge and really learn from each other. And I think that's a really good a really good platform and idea there. And, you know, kind of that's a good segue into the next question here, Patrick. So what are some ways that you feel that dietitians need to be incorporated into the healthcare spectrum that perhaps that aren't really occurring at this moment in time overall? So within your, within your healthcare or your hospital settings, your LTACs, your SNFs, I mean, the dietitian is there, you know, from a PT side of things, you may not know what they're doing because you, you traditionally wouldn't come across them unless you're seeking them out, which you should be if you come across something. So it's mainly the RDs and the nurses who kind of work together, largely on malnutrition screens. If somebody flags, that kind of brings the RD in to kind of address that malnutrition flag by nursing. So within that setting, it works rather well. The RD is, is a pretty good part of the team. It's going to be when you get out more into the community setting. And just like PTs, I mean, RDs need to, to be out there seeking other professionals and kind of creating that team and that network of people to work with. There's a lot of RDs who kind of just work in silos and they just, you know, stick with their own personal counseling and education models and they don't branch out to other people. Um, so I think that's something that really needs to change is just getting in your community 
in making your presence and you, yourself available that way. Yeah, Patrick, you bring up a, a really good word that we like to uh, to bring up here on the show time and time again, and that's silos. Um, you know, and we're all about breaking the silos down here. That's why we kind of started the show, and that's why we, you know, want to get everybody educated as to all the different avenues of healthcare and and how we can better work together. What what are some of the ways that you feel that dietitians can best collaborate with other healthcare providers in order to get the best possible outcome for the patient? So it's it's kind of partly upping their education as well, you know, kind of teaching RDs different ways to screen people to, to determine whether or not they need additional assistance from another healthcare provider. So that's kind of my angle, but on the PT side of things, trying to educate more PTs on how to screen patients for nutrition and whether or not they need more nutrition implementation to their plan of care. Not necessarily saying that the PT has to do it, but being able to identify that that patient could benefit from access to another healthcare provider. Um, so it's the same thing on the RD side of things in that if a patient or client was to tell an RD just casually about their back pain or, or about something they've got going on musculoskeletal, that that RD would instantly know to, to refer them to a physical therapist. For the most part, they don't, and that doesn't happen. So that's probably one of the biggest things that needs to change is that they need to be educated in those other healthcare providers and not just us. I mean, occupational therapist, you know, your experts in sleep, being able to refer patients so that they get the care that they need so that it's more compensating of everything that they've got going on and not just their, their nutritional impairment or their physical impairment. Yeah, no, Patrick, I think that's a great take. And I think that's a really important point. And you know, to kind of switch gears here, our next question is a little bit of a different one here. So, you know, Patrick, what are some impactful books that you have recently read or are reading currently? So one of my uh, favorite ones in the past is Invisible Influence uh, by Jonah Berger. It was very interesting in that you, you read it and you start to realize that all these outside influences um, that are around you that kind of, well, influence your own decisions and kind of what you do so that's uh, i've read a couple other books on influence as well just uh you know environmental influences you know what kind of gets people on a certain path of decision making versus another uh, most recently the one i'm working on right now is the ultimate sales machine uh by shet holmes uh, that one's taken me a little bit longer because he's got kind of uh, exercises throughout the book and it's really about uh, kind of building a building a brand and building a business. So that's kind of the one I'm going through right now. Awesome, awesome. Love the uh, love the insightful uh, suggestions there, Patrick. Uh, we, we like to wrap up the show uh, by asking each of our guests this final question: If you could change one aspect of higher education, DPT, RDN, or otherwise, what aspect would you change, and how would you go about changing it? So I think I. I touched on it earlier and it's it's more in a disciplinary education more of that simulation type of education uh, and really kind of getting getting students feet wet a little bit more a little bit earlier and then really about doing it <laughs> that's something that's not my expertise but uh, I think if you can if you can educate and you can storytell to new incoming students, who are, who are full of that energy and full of that passion to make a change, 
and you instill in them that this is something that's needed, I think their voice within the institution that they're in is probably one of the most powerful things so that they, it's something they request. And I've had, I've heard beneficial stories in the past and of students requesting certain type of education and being successful in getting it. I think that'd probably be the route that I would think would work uh, to an extent. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good idea, Patrick. And that's um, an idea that certainly seems to be um, be more discussed throughout the healthcare community as we've heard that multiple times on the show. And, you know, and Patrick, where can our audience find you online and on social media? So Twitter is probably going to be the easiest thing. So that's at the fuel physio. Uh, it's going to be the Twitter handle. Email is probably the second best option. Uh, so that's P-B-E-R-N-E-R. 002 at gmail.com. Those are probably the two easiest things, Twitter being the number one. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the APTA Student Assembly, uh, their X Exchange essay chat, uh, the live chats that they do, I'll be on there January 14th, which is a Sunday evening. So if you've, anyone's got questions or whatever, I'll be available at that point in time. Yeah, thanks so much for your time and for coming on, Patrick. And I'm actually going to give a little plug for Patrick's website too, patrickburner.com, because that's where I get all of my uh, Wealthy Wednesday tips, um, which I kind of blog about as well. I kind of take their tip for the day and try to apply it to my own life. So I appreciate uh, that and all you guys have been doing with that. Um, so if you haven't checked it out yet, like I said, we'll, uh, we'll kind of put that in the show notes as well. Thanks so much again for your time, Patrick. It was awesome talking with you, man. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thanks. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.